Welcome to Stewardology, a podcast where two worlds collide. In this show, financial advisor Tim Russell and Reverend Drew Geisey come together to explore the intersection of financial stewardship and theology. Their unique perspectives help Christians and churches understand and apply a biblical framework for everyday financial decisions so Christians everywhere can improve and strengthen their walk with Christ through biblical stewardship. Before we get started, we just wanted you to know that the topics discussed in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific investment advice or recommendations. Investing and investment strategies involve risk, including the potential loss of principal. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities and advisory services are offered through Genios Wealth Management, member FINRA and CIPIC. Without further ado, here are your hosts, Tim Russell and Drew Geisey. I'm Tim Russell. And I'm Pastor Drew Geisey. And we welcome you to another episode of The, the Stewardology Podcast. Podcast. Tim, take it away. It's story time with Tim. Okay, so... Um, we all, I am certain, have seen movies or read the book about this really interesting character called Scrooge. <laughs> Scrooge was a really rich, miserly guy who 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 kept all of the money, lived a meager, bare existence, was miserable and and just a terrible person to be around. And one night he was visited by three magical beings the what was it the uh, ghost of christmas past the ghost of christmas present the ghost of christmas future and in the end he has this magical transformation where he values people over possessions and he no longer controls or is controlled by his wealth another story is scrooge mcduck I don't know if you've ever seen the, I don't know, um, Looney Tunes or whatever. Uh, I love the lo- version. Saturday yeah, morning Looney yeah, yeah. Tunes. Scrooge Loved McDuck it. was, uh, you know, based on Scrooge and he had all of this money. In fact, he had this big old tower f- with a big dollar sign on it and he would have a diving board and you would see him jumping uh, every day and swimming through his piles of gold. He loved his money. I remember seeing that. And then, you know, maybe a little bit more of a serious book, The Hobbit by J.R. Tolkien. If you haven't read serious? it, read it. Serious? Absolutely serious. You're being serious? I am dead serious. It is such a good book. I highly recommend everyone read it. It is so good. But in that book, there is a dragon. The dragon is called Smaug. And Smaug, he he sits in a cave full of treasure. And it's said of Smaug that he knew his treasure so well that he would notice if a single coin was misplaced. And yet he got no delight from his money. He just hoarded over it and slept on it, didn't use it, didn't really enjoy it. It was just there. So today we're going to address the question, can money buy happiness? Ooh, what a great question. And with Scrooge, the more he had, the more miserable he became. With Scrooge McDuck, I mean, I mean you can only swim through so many coins. And with Smaug, no. His money did not buy him happiness. In fact, it was his downfall. Mm. So how do money and happiness relate to one another? That's a great question. And we know that happiness and money move together up to a certain point 
on an income scale, and Tim, you may be familiar with this since oh, yeah, you're yeah, yeah. a financial advisor. There now, there's always exceptions to the rule, and we understand that. And there are places in the world where people are impoverished, and they seem to be very happy and joyful and very much content. So I'm sure we can name a few places where we have been. Tim, you've been to a few yep, third sure. world countries. Which which ones have you been to? Uh, well, Togo, Ghana, West Africa. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And, and Tyler, I know you've been to a few, I think, down South America area and stuff like that. Uh, I've been to San Blas Islands. I've been to the, the hill regions in, in Mexico and some other places. Yeah. So there's these places where people, they don't have a lot. Yeah. But, and they don't have a lot of income. In fact, some meaner, just... Yeah, they're me- living on me- dollars a day, me- right? Meager yeah. pennies yeah. or dimes. Yeah. But yet they're content. Mm. Yeah. And it's not to say that they they couldn't uh having a little bit more more money giving them more opportunities wouldn't be a good thing for them. Right. But what we're saying is that that money money and happiness don't scale together. So so when you are on the low end of the income scale, let's just say you make $20,000 a year, yes. if you make $30,000 a year, you will be proportionately a bit more happy. You make 60,000 a year, your happiness is going to scale somewhat. And if you make $100,000 a year, we typically find that the, the happiness level with the amount of income does not scale the same way. In fact, the more money you make at some point, you'll see this in some of the show notes. You can take a look at our show notes and you'll see some charts. You'll actually see the happiness start to trail off over a certain point. So happiness and money, income, do scale early on. Yeah. But there is a point at which they don't scale anymore. The more money you get, you don't actually get more happy. In fact, many times people experience less satisfaction. And that may tie into a, a previous episode we talked about, about having this money kind of controlling us to a degree where we're, we have this income and now we're spending all our time, energy, and even working harder mm-hmm. to maintain. Yes, what we currently have. Yeah, shared that in a previous episode, yeah. Yeah. So what does happy really mean? Happiness defined, the Bible sense lexicon states, enjoying showing or marked by joy or pleasure. That's a good way to kind of look at it, that there's a pleasure, that, and it's more of an external piece that's, that's there. So, and our conversation here is, can many buy happiness? Based on our definition of happy, uh, sort of, somewhat, yeah, yeah, to a degree. Not ultimate and lasting happiness. Well said. It can buy temporary and like a present amount of happiness or satisfaction. Up to a certain point. Sure, sure. So if if you make $50,000 a year compared to someone who makes or compared to you when you made $20,000 a year, you're a bit more happy because you now have more options. Yeah. But if you take 50 to 500, are, are you that much more happy? No. In fact, studies show you'll be actually probably less happy with that more income because now you're upset about all the taxes you're paying and you're upset about all the people who are trying to get at that money and all of the this and all of the that. It just doesn't scale. Yeah. And it's very important to note that money can't buy that lasting happiness is what you just said, Tim. And especially a happiness that lasts perpetually. There is a popular quote, often it's attributed to John D. Rockefeller, that asks this question, how much is enough? He was asked that question while he was at the peak of his success. He responded with the famous answer, just one more dollar. Now, whether he said it or not, we recognize that that sentiment 
is often true in our own hearts. More money doesn't necessarily mean more happiness. Why is that, Tim? (laughs) Well, at a certain financial point, people become possessed by their possessions, right? And it's not really a matter of like, if I have this much money, then I'm not possessed, but I get another dollar more, then I'll be possessed. It's it's not like that. It's when we allow our hearts to be possessed by our possessions. Well, we allow our hearts to be um, fixated upon them. Another reason is that they wind up spending more time and money to maintain the lifestyle that they have. They yeah. maintain their assets and their goods. So they're they're not necessarily happen, happy. Uh, more money may also put an individual into this endless cycle of buying things and fixing up things and keeping up with the Joneses. It's whole vicious cycle that just creates more and more materialism and sucks you down. Uh, it has, for many, become a never-ending cycle for more and more, to buy more, to get more. And also, you need more to maintain or to improve what you have. Listen to what Solomon says. I love this from Ecclesiastes 2. I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all of my works, and this was the reward of my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. What a great passage of scripture to kind of tie into this this idea that that can money buy happiness? I mean, Solomon said it so well. It doesn't look like he was a happy camper with all the stuff that he had. So the better question to ask is this, can money buy contentment? Mm. I think we need to process that for a moment. No, money cannot purchase contentment, just as it cannot buy happiness. And the reason why I say that is contentment is a learned experience. And we see that what Paul has to say in Philippians 4, 11 and 12, he says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So contentment is not based on an income. It's not based on the assets, but it's on one's rock-solid conviction of your state before God. All right. So you say money can't buy lasting happiness. You say money can't buy contentment. I'm going to challenge that for a very brief moment. Okay. I think maybe money can buy contentment in the sense that you grow in contentment the more you're generous with your money. Oh, now we're talking something else. I'm liking where you're going with that. So in a sense, you're not buying a thing that gives no. contentment. You're you're buying contentment by giving to others, by being generous. But is somebody really buying contentment, or are they actually just being obedient to the calling of the Lord, and God is bringing about contentment? What if they're the same thing? 
So, uh, you know, here's here's the deal. It, yeah, technically, you're not technically buying something, but you are storing up treasures in heaven. Agreed. Agreed. Right? And, I like that. And in so doing, you learn contentment. You learn to be content on less. You learn that you, people mean more than money, that God means more than money, that money is a means of worshiping God. Absolutely. And you use your money through through charitable efforts, through generosity, you grow in contentment. So I agree with you. Yeah. And money I, can't and, buy contentment, however— And I agree with you. Through generosity. I agree with you. We learn I, contentment. I, I think what happens— usually with the person that has money is there is a change in transition that happens within the heart and mind of the believer to actually give. They are not inclined to just give most of the time. Mm -hmm. And when that change happens, which is the work of God in the spirit and his word in the person's life, and they give, that's when that snowball effect happens. But I think it first has to happen with God in that person's life, because people are just naturally normally hoarders especially of wealth mm. so so with that in mind we're going to transition to the next point in our outline which is how does one start the process of learning contentment yeah and and i i think we have to add on to the four points that we're going to present here maybe a fifth point which is generosity, but generosity also may be subsumed within a yeah. few of the others within it. Yeah. So I just wanted and, to point that out. And I just want to say, this this is not our own material. This was a, a blog post that I read from a, a gentleman called Robert Sloan. We'll have ah, his yes, links good. in the show notes. And this is taken, which I loved, right out of Philippians chapter 4, mm-hmm. the chapter that we just read from, and it expounds on this as a prescription for learning contentment. And he says, first of all, we need to submit to God in prayer. Philippians 4, 6 says, (laughs) be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the very first part of his prescription to actually get ourselves moving toward this process of learning contentment is prayer. And I think why that's so powerful is because it causes us to have a Godward orientation yes. in our heart and our mind. Oh, absolutely. Right? When we get out of ourselves and we come to God in prayer, we're no longer thinking of ourselves. We're thinking of ourselves in relation to God. Yeah. Having a Godward mindset is so critically important to contentment. We cannot be contented if all we see is ourselves. If we see something bigger than ourselves, then we can find contentment. Love that. The second point here is... Discipline your mind to dwell on good things. And that's right out of Philippians 4.8. It says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. So it's disciplining your mind to dwell on these good things. And this is part of this process of learning contentment. I will tell you, that is a challenge for me in this fallen world. When you fill your mind with HGTV or Q, uh, was it QCV or whatever that, uh, that, the selling stuff on TV yeah. is and all the materials QVC. there. QVC. That's what it's, QVC. Or when you fill your mind with with um, houses of the rich and famous. Oh, yeah. You know, then we start to be discontented with what we have. But when we see 
and, and fill our minds with the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellent, and praiseworthy, then we can be content. And if we dwell on those things, it brings about a change and transformation of the heart and mind. And it helps us shift more towards this learning of mm-hmm. contentment. Mm-hmm. The third thing is, is practice behaviors you know to be right. And Paul teaches this third habit here in Philippians 4.9. Yeah. It says, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Yeah. I think this is where the whole giving idea and generosity can come in Got to it. play, right? Nailed it. When we talk about how do we develop contentment, yeah. well, practice the five biblical sequential priorities. We give, we save, we spend, we have offerings, and then luxuries. We we become more generous with what we have. Yeah, and that's this is part of that process of learning contentment. And then also the fourth piece is develop the habit of trusting God. You know, Paul cultivated these habits himself, and he knew what he was talking about because he says that he has learned how to be content. In Philippians 4.11, he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. So here, and I so appreciate, and thank you, Robert Sloan, for breaking this right out of Philippians. This is a great start for us to learn the process from the Apostle Paul who has learned contentment, how we can learn contentment in our own life so we're not chasing after the wind and going after that one more dollar that we're constantly going after. So the question that's before us is, where does real happiness or joy, where does it really come from? As you and I have just heard in this episode, real happiness cannot be bought. It cannot be acquired through our possessions. It can put a smile on your face. It can make a, a bad day, turn around and make a, put a smile, but it's not going to be everlasting. Solomon spoke so well when he said this of Ecclesi- in Ecclesiastes 1-2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And then he also said in chapter 2, verse 11, Then I looked on all the works that my hands have done and all the labor on which I have toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There, there was no profit under the sun. Yeah. So how do we get real happiness if it's not from the money? As stated earlier, it does not come from the number of dollars in your bank account. True happiness or a deep-seated joy within that beams through your body language and your face, it comes through living for something more than money. It's living with a purpose to serve others. It's living your life before God through Him and for Him each and every day. Yeah. Money isn't something that we go after in order to bring us happiness for. It can bring a smile on our face, but having God's mindset toward money, it gives us an experience of happiness. When we use our income and assets, Tim, as you talked about earlier about giving, and we're able to fund the Lord's work that God has put before us, that brings a great smile to the face and a great joy. And it's not because of something you and I did with the money. It's because he's working in and through you to accomplish what he wants to do to build his kingdom. You just get the joy of being part of it. Mm. And finally, when we partner with God and his working out his eternal purposes here on earth with the resources that are in our our care, well, that's going to put a huge smile on your face. And it's also going to put a 
deep, deep, deep smile and satisfaction in your soul that you are part of God's kingdom work here today. Well, Drew, that was a good episode. Good reminder. Money can't buy happiness. Keep on looking to the Lord. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Stewardology Podcast. Please don't forget to uh, share your ideas for future episodes at stewardologypodcast.com forward slash ideas. You can sign up for your free stewardship review at stewardologypodcast.com forward slash review, where we can help you become an even better steward of all of your assets. Rate and review this podcast on your podcast catcher, please. It is so helpful. If you haven't done this and you've listened to me every week ask you the same thing, would today you do a great favor for us and go and review this podcast. Leave us a five-star review. It would be really helpful for others who are looking for godly wisdom. And finally... Visit our show notes at our website, stewardologypodcast.com, for more information about this episode and all of the other episodes, the entire 133 episodes in our backlog history. And as you do that, please just share it with others. It's really helpful. All right. Until next time, may God bless you, and please remember the message from 1 Timothy chapter 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we cannot take anything out of it. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. God bless. Thank you for joining us on the Stewardology Podcast, where financial stewardship and theology meet. We'd like to help you take your next steps in biblical financial stewardship. First, subscribe in your podcast provider to get the newest episode delivered to you every week. Next, follow us on social media and visit our website at stewardologypodcast.com. There you can find our social media links and our entire episode archive. Remember, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. See you next week on the Stewardology Podcast. Securities and advisory services offered through Genios Wealth Management, member FINRA and SIPC.